It's a beautiful Monday morning, and you are listening to Home Court Press. The Jazz suffered two losses over the weekend, with the latter a double overtime thriller that featured great shot making, back to back clock malfunctions, and basically everything but a buzzer beater. McCade and I also preview this afternoon's matchup with the Dallas Mavericks as they've chosen to rest stars Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. But first, we talk news and notes around the league and the impact Ben Simmons' knee surgery will have in the 76ers and the Eastern Conference. All that and more coming up next on Home Court Press. The Utah Jazz, the Denver Nuggets, and away we go. Oni kicks it out, knee and good by Gobert. Here's a wide open race, O'Neal. How solid has O'Neal been? Good throw on the wing, open Clarkson fires and hits. Big shot, big three, Jordan Clarkson. Mitchell with Mitchell the three. Mitchell gets the three. Donovan Mitchell. Works by the defense, takes it down, got the layup and puts it through. Ingles big time offensive rebound, Conley three, good. Counted and a foul. Donovan Mitchell continues to make big baskets for the Jazz. Here they go, quick three, Mitchell, good, oh, he's ruthless. Mitchell trying to get the lead, got it, got it, 3.4. Oh, Welcome into a disappointing weekend edition of Home Court Press. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined once again, as always, by Mr. Flinton Steele, McCade Pearson. How's it going? Going good, we're getting ready to prepare for the playoffs. Playoffs are coming up. Two more games for the Jazz in the bubble. And then next, what is it, next Monday or Tuesday when the playoffs are supposed to start? So they're starting them on Monday. But I have a hard time imagining the NBA is really going to let this weekend go to waste. So I would not be surprised if you saw a few series start on Sunday. And maybe even the Bucks series starting on Saturday to go as a doubleheader with the Western Conference playing game. But they're saying Monday for sure. I'd assume the Jazz start on Monday because uh, the Nuggets and the Clippers both play on Friday. So whatever really happens with the Jazz, they won't be ready till Monday. Okay. Well, let's do some news and notes around the league real quick before we recap these two games over the weekend. And then we'll finish by talking about the Mavericks game tomorrow, which, side note, I'm terrified by the Mavericks. So we'll, we'll discuss that when we get there. But news and notes around the league. Uh, Sixers forward. Is he considered a forward at this point, Ben Simmons? I don't even know. He will be undergoing surgery on his left knee to, quote, remove loose bodies. Uh, He dislocated that kneecap in in the Sixers game midweek. I can't even remember who they were playing in that one. But you hate to see that for Ben Simmons. That's a tough injury, and it's really difficult for that Sixers team that was struggling with Simmons. Yeah, they've got to figure some stuff out. They're not giving a timetable right now, but it's obviously going to be a few weeks, if not a few months. I wouldn't expect him back in the bubble. Maybe if they get out of the first round and things go great, we might see him, but I wouldn't expect him back. Oh, it's not looking promising. And I, The Sixers are a franchise that has shown a willingness to give injuries a lot of time. Ben Simmons missed his entire rookie year after a foot injury he suffered that summer. So... Wouldn't surprise me at all if, if he doesn't play again this season. And like we said, that's just a tough loss for the Sixers. Now, another injury that we're talking about, Lakers guard Rajon Rondo is expected to return sometime during the first round. And besides giving the Lakers a little bit more depth on the guard line, I'm not sure that that's a good thing for them because Rondo is not a good basketball player anymore. 
Yeah, they'll have to figure out the rotation a little bit in that first round playoff series with Rondo coming back. But uh, we'll see when he comes back. The thing is, if the Lakers sweep in the first round, then they can't use that second week to have Rondo play a few minutes. So we'll see what happens there. Um, hopefully it doesn't affect the Jazz. It looks like we're going to be on the other side of the bracket. It's a, it appears that way right now. We'll see how it all shakes out over the next two games. And then the last thing, the NBA's got some pretty strict tampering rules. I was listening to a podcast the other day. Bill Simmons had Steve Kerr on, and Simmons asked Kerr a couple things about Giannis, and Kerr said, I, I'm just not going to answer that. I'm not getting fined. Well, another Golden State Warrior, Draymond Green, put his foot in his mouth talking about Suns guard Devin Booker. So Draymond said, I, I think it was on NBA on TNT, he said, it's great to see Book playing well and Phoenix playing well, but get my man out of Phoenix. It's not good for him. It's not good for his career. I need my man to go somewhere where he can play great basketball all the time and win because that's the type of player he is. Draymond, that's tampering. You can't say those things. $50,000. The NBA will be collecting that. So, Which is the max they can find a player without it going into the system so that, that's the max they can realistically find him so that was not a slap on the wrist that no. was real money coming out of the yeah that's legitimate and it just i don't know i i don't really care about it one way or the other but you you've got to realize that as draymond green you you can't talk to the press about guys on other teams it does not work that way sorry man you could call him from the parking lot after you lose game seven <laughs> of the finals that's okay. <laughs> the only thing is, who are the Warriors going to trade for Devin Booker? It'd have to be Draymond Green's contract, right? Yeah, I think it would have to be Draymond Green's contract. So that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but that's it for us around the league. News and notes. Spurs game on Friday. We all remember Quinn Snyder decided to sit four of his five starters. And then if you count Bojan Bogdanovic, they also missed Nigel Williams-Goss. So six players on the roster were not available for that game. Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Royce O'Neal, and Rudy Gobert were the four starters that are have been active throughout the bubble. This was a bench game, and they, you know, we know they lost 119-111, but really what they were hoping for is you, you wanted to get some guys like Niang and Jordan Clarkson who have struggled so far, some good minutes and quality shots, and see the ball go in the hoop. And then also, I, I got the feeling Quinn Snyder really wanted to find a couple of young players on the team that he can trust and we've talked about stealing minutes a lot, you know, seven to ten minutes a game. And I think in Jarrell Brantley and Mia Oni, those are two guys Quinn Snyder's developing some trust. Brantley is an NBA defender right now. He's somebody that I compared to P.J. Tucker yesterday. I, I think his career outlook is very similar to a P.J. Tucker, except maybe with a little bit more athleticism. And then similar with Mia Oni, his length, athleticism on the defensive end. And what I love the most is... Yesterday in the Nuggets game, he got minutes over Rajon Tucker because he he's you know hard nosed. He's a good defender, but he also shows a willingness to shoot that Tucker hasn't shown. Man, you're gonna get us in trouble with that comment. I know it. Um, we got to get Andy Larson on here. <laughs> no, but uh, I will want to mention that Tony Bradley and Jakob Pertl both had double doubles and high team <laughs> points and both played really really well. I was very pleased in both of their efforts in games on Friday, despite the Jazz loss. So go ahead and laugh and make fun all you want. I enjoyed it. <laughs> you were excited. That Tony but, Bradley, Jakob Pertle matchup. McCade was talking well, about it all day. They were both awesome. They were both, I think uh, Jakob Pertle had like 19 and 12, and Tony Bradley had like 16 and 13 or something like that. Like, it was great. But we'll talk about Tony Bradley and his restricted free agency and all that fun stuff in the offseason. Definitely get but into that. I do love me some Tony Bradley. Um, and 
the right circumstances, double overtime not being one of them. No, you didn't like it. Like to see him on the floor in double overtime yesterday against the Nuggets, but I, he, he was fine. But he's just not Rudy Gobert. Exactly. It's it's a pretty big fall off from the best defensive center in basketball to how, Tony Bradley. How's that for a fire take? <laughs> um, I like it. No, but the Jazz did fall in double overtime to the Nuggets yesterday. Um, really up and down game. A lot of good. A lot of bad. A lot of bad and a lot of good. Just it was it was a game. It was entertaining. And I love watching basketball, so I'll look at it with a glass half full right there. You know what, McKay? Even with the loss, 134-132, the last 12 minutes of that basketball game were, if you're an NBA fan, you loved that game. Even being a Jazz fan and seeing them lose, that was fun to watch. It sucks when you've got a Jazz team. In the first half, they, they played great. They hit a ton of shots. They were making threes. They, I believe they made eight more threes than the Nuggets in the first half. And then in the second half, those stopped, those shots just stopped falling. They were still getting the same looks. Stopped falling, and the Nuggets just slowly chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. Man, about 20 seconds left, Jazz down six. We thought it was over, didn't we? Yeah, I tweeted some stuff, and then people commented those tweets later at the game. So, <laughs> no, but it was very frustrating to see the Jazz offense struggle so much in the fourth quarter. After it worked so well the first three quarters, they just kind of panicked when shots didn't fall in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Things got a little ugly, and the, and the fourth quarter was just rough. Nobody looked particularly good. Rudy, I think, shot like 0 for 3, 0 for 4. Donovan was all over the place for at least the last seven, eight minutes before the last 15 seconds. Um, the ball just stopped moving. It turned it into did. my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn, my turn, my turn, my turn. <laughs> One thing about Rudy Gobert, you mentioned he was either 0 for 3 or 0 for 4 in that fourth quarter. And it's the really the only thing about Rudy's game that frustrates me is there are times he's got to go stronger. He's just got to dunk the ball. You get an offensive rebound, you got to go up and go through a guy and try and dunk it. If you draw a foul, fantastic. And that's where I got frustrated with Rudy in the fourth quarter. Otherwise, that's the only criticism I'm going to give Rudy Gobert from that game. <laughs> he was spectacular, ended up fouling out in the first overtime, and really that's that's where things turned for the Jazz, and, and you kind of knew that it wasn't going to happen. They weren't going to be able to get the W. But it's just it was a fun basketball game. It was a lot of, a lot of fun to watch. But you had some things about Donovan Mitchell that concerned you. Now, what really concerned me about Donovan's game is – He's still just struggling a lot off the dribble and is really looking to be that guy. He's amazing catch and shoot. How many threes did we see yesterday down the last 12, 13 minutes of the game where he hit a crazy catch and shoot? Three? I think he had three of them where it was just like, oh my gosh, like we're still in this because he knocked that down. He's got that Clay Thompson, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller ability to catch the ball, jump, figure out how to balance his weight and put the ball in the hole for three points. And that was fantastic. Off the dribble, it just isn't as great. He was 0 for 7 on threes and 7 for 17 on twos. So that's 7 for 24 total off the dribble. It's just really hard to keep your balance, keep in position, and knock down shots off the dribble. It helps if you're getting to the rim. Layups are easy, but Donovan wasn't doing that either. So a lot of his off the dribble stuff was floaters and jumpers, which is not great. Um, he was 4 for 5 from the mid-range, which is good to see, specifically long mid-range. But as I said, the 0 for 7 three-pointers and all that fun stuff is just not great. When you mentioned getting to the rim, and that's not just a Donovan Mitchell problem. It's the entire Jazz guard line. Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, none of those guys were getting to the rim. Everything was was a three-point shot or a contested mid-range jumper. And it's 
it's really hard to have a consistent offense at all when you're not able to create and get to the rim. Yeah, Conley didn't get to the rim once out of his 19-20 shots. Clarkson had, what, 14-15 shots? He got there once and missed it. I believe it was that play where it looked like he got fouled. He's kind of out of control, got re- hit really hard. Just a weird play. He did um, get fouled. Donovan, what? I'm saying it. He did get fouled there. That should have been called. I would have called a foul for sure. It was just a weird play, though. The ball was just kind of flying everywhere, bouncing 15 feet in the air. And, but So I was going to say, it's kind of a fluky play. It's not like Clarkson just had a nice drive to the rim. And then Donovan was two for four there. The, one of those two was his layup to tie the game with, like, two, what was it, 0.9 left? which was a super weird play. It's almost like the Nuggets like allowed that to happen. They were so worried about the three. Just a, the Jazz guards have to get to the rim better. Five attempts at the rim at a 66 shot is not great. It's not winning basketball. It's not going to help you out. I get we can blame Gobert for clogging up the middle, but that's because Gobert shoots 70% from inside. I'm not going to blame Gobert's greatness for the Jazz guard struggle. And so whether it's Quinn Snyder or just the guard saying, we're going to do this, they've got to get to the rim more than five shots a game between the three of them. The Jazz are number one in the league in drives per game at 57.5, which is four more than any other team in the league. But in spite of being number one in drives, they're 28th in paint touches. So these drives aren't creating anything. Yeah, a lot of floaters, a lot of kick out to the three-point line before they get to the paint. But there's just not a lot of paint action. And whether you're going to shoot at the rim, get into the paint, all that fun stuff, you obviously want to get layups. Like, let's be clear about that. However, even getting to the paint, having a Steve Nash dribble where you just keep the dribble alive and kicking it out to three-point shooters, it just all flows. It's what really gets the blender moving is when you're using the entire court instead of just outside the paint. Yeah. So one more thing here with Donovan Mitchell, McCade, and it's something that I've noticed against specific defender type in the NBA. It's, it's big guards. Guys that are real thick that can get physical with Donovan Mitchell that give him the most trouble. He struggled yesterday against Torrey Craig. His, his just numbers against the Nuggets in general have not been good throughout his career. Uh, another guy that seems to give him trouble, Eric Gordon. Then you, you look at Lou Dort with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Like The three most likely opponents for the Jazz in the first round of the playoffs are all teams that seem to give Donovan Mitchell a lot of trouble on the offensive end. It's tough to do that. Well, Jazz are now 1-7 in in Donovan's career when he has 30-plus field goal attempts. So, obviously, that's not great. The one win is when he went off against Milwaukee last year when we came that crazy game, favors dunk over Giannis. Mm, Yeah, 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 the home game. He had 46, yeah. And that was like Rudy's worst game of his career, too. That was what? That was one of Rudy's worst games of his career. So, it was... (laughs) Interesting fact, I just noticed off the top of my head for whatever reason... That game, Rudy Gobert set the NBA record in Basketball References database for worst plus minus in a win. He was like minus 34 in a win. Um, Arguably the worst game of all time in a win by Rudy Gobert that game. Um, But yeah, no, so that was the win, and then now you have seven losses. Asking Donovan to beat his 30-plus physical attempt shooter usually isn't a good idea, and he wasn't doing that yesterday. He only had six attempts in the first half. It was after halftime, specifically the last five minutes of regulation and the two overtimes, last 15 minutes of the game, where he just started chucking up shots. He was 7 for 19 in that 15 minutes. 7 for 19 is not great, but 19 shots in 15 minutes concerns me a lot more than the 7 for 19. Especially the way the offense had been working the entire game. There was no reason to go to that isolation style of play because they were getting open looks. Whether they fell or not in the second half, they were getting open looks, and 
I felt like if they had just moved the ball a little bit more, the Jazz win this game in regulation. Yeah, no, Donovan had eight assists and looked pretty darn good and controlled the ball the first three, three and a half quarters of this game. But then he went into hero ball mode and he stopped passing really, and he didn't have another assist after that five-minute mark in the fourth quarter. Jazz were up four at the time, obviously getting to overtime in a second one. And so this, I don't even want to blame Donovan. I feel like this is a Quinn issue to an extent where the Jazz lose their identity a lot in the clutch. Um, whether it's Donovan trying to be a superstar or it's Quinn not being, well, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, is forceful enough to say, hey, run the dang offense. But the, Thund- not the, Thunder, the Nuggets on the other side, they just run their offense 48 minutes a game, and it's why they're so good in the clutch. They're down two with 10 seconds to go. They're like, okay, let's just get it to Jokic in the post. He'll make a good play. We'll still have some present screens. Sometimes he passes, sometimes he shoots. The Jazz offense in the last five minutes, and as I said, I'm not blaming Donovan here. I think this might be more of a Quinn thing, is get the ball to Donovan, get out of the way. If he happens to pass it to you, you better shoot it and you better knock it down. Rudy, we don't really know what to do with you. You just kind of stand there because you can't shoot threes, and it just it doesn't flow well. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. There's no flow to it. All right, McCade. Well, we've got two games left here in the bubble before the playoffs start. You've been talking about magic numbers and elimination numbers. So where do the Jazz stand in terms of seeding and what they need to do to either get four, five, or six at this point? Yeah, we can kiss the Clippers and Nuggets goodbye. They're off and away. The Mavericks beat the Bucks last night or all of a sudden like winning some games. And our magic number against the Mavericks is down to one. But it's been there for a couple days now. So we do got to close that out at some point. So that's one Jazz win against the Mavericks or Spurs for one Mavericks loss, I believe, against the Jazz, Suns, and Blazers, I want to say. Um, don't quote me on that. But one of those four games has to go the right way for the Jazz to get higher than the seventh seed. And I'm confident one of those four games will, preferably the Jazz beating the Spurs or Mavericks. And the nice Other, thing about that yeah, with, the, with the Mavericks is that the Jazz have control over that. They don't have to hope yep. for the Mavericks to lose. They play the Mavericks tomorrow night. So all you got to do, you go out, you get a win in that game. And then you can assure yourself of that top six seed and avoiding the Lakers or Clippers in the first round, which is really one of the main focuses for this team right now. Yep. One thing, not tomorrow night. Night games aren't a thing anymore because we're in a bubble. That's right. So, yeah, that's where we're at. The Mavericks will get a top six seed. Unfortunately, or fortunately, if you're on the tank for six train, the Rockets and Thunder have kind of ran away from us as well. The Thunder won today. Um, So now our elimination against the Thunder is down to two. So that's two Thunder wins in their last three games or two losses from us or split, 1-1 one, one each. Mm-hmm. And then Houston's down to one. By the time you're listening to this, I'm going to go ahead and assume Houston has beat the Kings and Houston is uncatchable. So four seeds being ahead of Houston, really unlikely. Even the Thunder don't look likely. We're pretty much locked into five or six. Feeling pretty confident we're going to be six at this point. So speaking of that four seed probably being out of reach at this point, You've had some interesting numbers talking about home court advantage in the bubble, and I don't buy into this at all. I don't think there is any home court advantage. I I don't care that the players are seeing the signage and some fans on the video boards. I don't think it exists. But what have you found in terms of the home team versus the designated visiting team in the bubble? Let me be clear. I'm not buying this either. I think it's a little fluky, but we're getting to the point. We're up over 50 games now. Like We're getting to the point where it's at least something to look at. But home teams are 32 and 22 in the bubble coming into today. This is through Saturday night. They're 32 and 22 in the bubble. So the home teams are winning. That could just be the schedule lines up so better teams are at home against worse teams. 
every team is playing four and four in the bubble. But um, whatever it is, home teams are winning better in the bubble than they did outside the bubble. So who knows? At this point, we're up over 50 games. It is something, as weird as it is. It is something. You like numbers. You always got to be able to find something. All right, well, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to preview that Jazz Mavericks matchup tomorrow afternoon. So thanks for listening to Home Court Press. Thanks for tuning in today. Home Court Press can be found on kbear.com. Just go to kbear.com forward slash home court press. We can also be found on any of your major podcatchers. And remember to listen, share, rate, and review so more people have an opportunity to listen. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadep8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. And you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press, and now back to the show. Welcome back to Home Court Press. We just got done talking about the Jazz last two games over the weekend against the Nuggets and Spurs, both losses. Now we're facing the Dallas Mavericks, the team that really the the Jazz are fighting with the most in the bubble at this point, trying not to fall to the seventh spot in the West. We already talked about the magic numbers and elimination numbers. This is a good Mavericks team. They haven't always looked great in the bubble. They're 2-3 and three in their five games. They're 0-2 against the Jazz this season. But I think they've also got the best player so far in the bubble, Luka Doncic. I, I don't know if there's anybody that can rival what Doncic has been doing. Oh, he's been crazy good. Um, yep, we need a win or a Mavericks loss. We can double up and get two for the price of one tomorrow. Um it's going to be an interesting game. The Mavericks have, depending on how you count it, me being a math nerd, I like to look at standard deviations and that kind of thing. But if you want to just look at straight raw numbers, the Mavericks have the best offense in NBA history by like well over a point or two um, per hundred possessions. So the Jazz got to play some defense, but the Mavericks struggle a lot like we do in the clutch yes. where Luca almost goes a little to hero ball and there's just something not working there. So if you can get them in the clutch, you have a good chance to win. They're two and 10. Well, they won last night. So now they're 3-10 and 10 in games decided by three points or less. Oh, I think last night might have ended up being over three by the final buzzer. Anyway, they struggle in the clutch. So if you can get them there, you have a good chance to hopefully just play smarter than them. Preferably, we just blow them out. And that's going to take stopping Porzingis after stopping Luka. You double-team Luka, you make sure Luka doesn't beat you, and then you dare Porzingis to beat you. So if you're coaching the Jazz, you're taking away or you're doing what you can to try and take away Luka Doncic and you're forcing Kristaps Porzingis to carry the team, right? So Luka, I mean, not Luka, um, Porzingis is seven foot three, but he plays power forward and he really likes shooting the ball. He's a he perimeter a guy. He's a dominant low post player, but he's really struggled to be a low post player. Players can push him and be physical with him and he'll go out 15, 17, 20 feet and they take these crazy fadeaway jumpers like he's prime Dirk Nowitzki, and that's just not his game, at least yet, as good of a shooter as he is. So making Porzingis beat you in the high post from the three-point line, all that is got to be the strategy. The question is, how do you defend a center um, and seven-foot-three Porzingis when the Jazz don't have a power forward? That's what they're going to have to figure out. Well, I think the biggest issue you're going to have with the Jazz is Obviously, I think you put Rudy Gobert on Porzingis. They've had some really good matchups over the years. Rudy has, I would say, more often than not come out on top in those games. So you've got Rudy shadowing Porzingis. The problem with that is Luka's so good at getting to the rim, and if you're taking Rudy away from the basket, Luka could score 50. 
Yes, and we've seen that a couple times this year. Players score 50 against the Jazz. So the Jazz um, perimeter defenders are really going to have a tough task here. I think you probably have Royce O'Neal as the primary defender on Luka to start the game, but they're going to be throwing a lot of bodies. Donovan Mitchell is going to get some time on him. I'm sure Mike Conley will. I'm sure Jarrell Brantley and Mia Oni might get some time defending Luka Doncic. They, I think the key is going to be you've got to keep throwing bodies at him and hope that you can wear him down a little bit. And then, like you said, you, you force Porzingis to beat you and – you just kind of roll with it. I, I don't know that this is going to be a good matchup for the Jazz, but it's a beatable team because, like you said, their they're clutch numbers, in spite of how good their offense has been this year, I, the clutch numbers, they've really struggled. So either you, you keep the game close and hope you can come out on top, or you hope you get that blowout and just pull away and not have to worry about it, and then they can kind of take that Spurs game off too because you wrap up the sixth seed. Now, yeah, so the one thing the Jazz do have going for them is Rudy Gobert gives Porzingis all sorts of problems. In their careers, they've matched up six times. Gobert's averaged 20, 13, and 3 in those games, and Porzingis is averaging under five rebounds a game. So Gobert just dominates him on the glass, uh, forces him to shoot a bad percentage. Gobert's career high, 35 points, came against Porzingis back when he was with the Knicks. And so it's really going to be about getting... Gobert the ball because the Mavericks are going to really struggle to guard Gobert and letting and trying. Let me stop there. Sorry. And forcing somebody other than Luca to beat you. Um, as I said, you make Porzingis beat you. That's your best odds because Gobert has dominated that matchup throughout their careers. Do you have a prediction for tomorrow? But Rudy has another 20 point game. As I said, he's averaging over 20 against Porzingis. Um, I bet he gets over 20 again. It's really going to come down to can Donovan, what does Donovan Mitchell come back at? Because we saw lots of splashes of both good and bad in this previous game. And can he calm down and get back to the eight assist person we saw the first three and a half quarters? Because if he can do that, the Jazz are going to win this game because the Mavericks defense cannot stop the Jazz offense if the Jazz are playing Jazz offense. And I think you're right in this game that defensively you want to force Kristaps Porzingis to beat you because on the the perimeter, this is a really tough matchup for the Jazz. The Mavericks come in shooting 45 threes a game in the bubble, and they're a good three-point shooting team, connecting on 31.5% of those. So a lot of the onus in this game is going to come down to it's not going to be so much on Rudy Gobert because I don't think he'll be at the basket like he normally is. It's going to be that perimeter Jazz defense, and can they defend the three-point shot and the dribble drive? If they can do that, they should be able to win this game and wrap up, at worst, the sixth seed in the West. And luckily there's little pressure on this game. Um, You obviously don't want to be the seventh seed because then you're likely playing the Clippers. But if you do lose this game... The Mavericks have still have to win two more, and you still have a chance to take care of business against a Spurs team on Wednesday that might not, sorry, on Thursday that might not have a lot to play for. We'll have to see if they're still in the thick of things for the play in game. So, not a ton of pressure, but the pressure is starting to build before the playoffs, and the Jazz got to get one of these next two games. All right, man, where can, they, of all time. where can they find you on Twitter? Um, follow me at McCade P8, that's M C C A D E P 8. Um, you know what to do at this point. And then you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's B-P-R-E-E-C-E 24. And thank you for listening to Home Court Press and Go Jazz!